0: Good morning, it's great to have you joining us here. It's great to have you joining us online. However you're joining us this week, we're glad that you're here. I read this week uh, the biographer of Mahatma Gandhi. When he visited Mahatma Gandhi for the first time, it was in 1942, so think about that. That's in the beginning of World War II. And he visited Gandhi and it was a hut, his house was a hut with mud walls. No decorations, except for one black and white print on the wall. And it was a picture of Jesus with the words, he is our peace. And we've heard Gandhi had a very high opinion of Jesus. It's interesting that that was the only piece of artwork in his small uh, little room. And we've seen at times that Gandhi says things about Jesus like this right here, where he says, what does Jesus mean to me? To me, he was one of the greatest teachers humanity has ever had. He goes on to say, Jesus lived and died in vain if he did not teach us to regulate the whole of life by the eternal law of love. Because of the eternal law of love, Jesus is one of the greatest teachers humanity has ever had. Now, lots of people think that about Jesus. It's, again, somebody who didn't necessarily believe in Jesus in the way we believe in Jesus, but had that kind of a high opinion of Jesus much like Nick Kristof in the New York Times talks about Jesus' teachings and how he admires them. On the other hand, when it comes to the God of the Old Testament, not so much. Not so much praise, not so much accolades. For example, maybe the more extreme example would be from Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion. He writes this, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, and now we have to have another slide for the adjectives, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Now, that's a lot of adjectives, and I'm sure he took a while to write that and had to get a thesaurus out and all that kind of stuff, but I don't mean to belittle it because that's obviously how he feels, and we have to take it seriously. He's not alone, right? And in some sense, we wouldn't say it to those extremes. We wouldn't use quite that list of adjectives, but it's not far from a bad idea lots of Christians have when it comes to the God of the Old Testament versus the God of Jesus. Let me ask you the question. Uh, this is the, well, let me just say it this first. The bad idea is this I want to talk about today. The bad idea is that there's a difference between the character of the God of the Old Testament and the character of Jesus that the character of Jesus is praised by people like Gandhi and Nicholas Kristof and and lots of others because of his teachings on love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. We love that. On the other hand, the God of the Old Testament, not so much because he's seen as a God of anger and judgment and, and punishment. Where are you on that? When you read your Bible, and you turn the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, do you kind of switch the views of God? Where are you in this? Here's how you know. Would you rather conf- confront the God of the Old Testament or confront Jesus? Let me say it this way. Would you rather encounter the God of the Old Testament or would you rather encounter Jesus? My guess is most people would probably pick Jesus, But is there a difference? The degree that you think there's a difference is the degree that you're buying into the bad idea. Here's why I want to show you it's a bad idea. And that is we can't read the Gospel of John in the the New Testament without being clearly told that Jesus was the perfect image of the true God. We read lots of verses that say it. Here's one. John 1, 18, where the Apostle John says this, No one has ever seen God but the one and only son, he's talking about Jesus, obviously, who is himself God has made him known. When you look at Jesus, you're seeing God. That's what John the apostle says. And so he says in verse 14 that the word, he's talking about this God he's calling the word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. That's the Jesus we see in the New Testament, and the Apostle John says that's exactly the picture of God. Full of grace and truth, but one person's grace and truth may be another's unpleasant truth. I read a story this weekend that I thought was pretty interesting. It's about the Secret Service agent that was there when the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan in March 30th, 1981. The Secret Service, their job is to get between the bullet and the president, and that's exactly what we see this Secret Service agent doing. His name is Jerry Parr. Jerry Parr bundled Reagan, and after the shots, put him into the limousine. It didn't look like Reagan had been hit, But then when he got in, he noticed, Jerry Parr noticed a little bit of blood on Reagan's lip, and he all of a sudden countermanded, instead of having Reagan go back to the White House, that they needed to take him immediately to the emergency room at the hospital. Ended up saving Reagan's life. He had to have immediate emergency surgery, and it saved his life because of the keen awareness in the heat of the moment, getting him in between a bullet and the president, noticing something that would save Ronald Reagan's life. But here's where it gets interesting. When Jerry Parr was a kid, he watched a 1939 movie called Code of the Secret Service. And that movie so made an impression on him that it actually changed the trajectory of his life to where he wanted to become a Secret Service agent himself. He was so taken by the main character in the film who was this fearless secret surge, uh, secret service agent played by Ronald Reagan. The same Ronald Reagan that Jerry Parr would end up saving his life because of the film. He saw Ronald Reagan play a secret service agent and it ended up, it's weird how that kind of the future came into the past and created the future. It's odd how that ends up happening in life. The older you get, you kind of see it You don't realize it at the time, but then you remember things that happened in your past that were actually glimpses of the future and that created the future that we have now. Here's the thing the Old Testament is. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there are dramatic events when God brings the future into the present to affect the future, a little bit like the story of Jerry Parr. God brings the future into the present at the time the story is being told in the Old Testament in order to affect the future. The Exodus is that. The Exodus, you remember, where God frees the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt and he takes them through the impossibility of the sea, parts the sea, they walk on dry land to the other side with joy and all these riches from Egypt. And that is foreshadowing a real future in the larger story when the kingdom of God comes. God will save us from the slavery to our to death and to sin through the impossibility of delivering us from evil, the sea representing evil, and God doing something that we couldn't do ourselves, and he brings us through from slavery to death and sin into this land that's coming, this restored creation, and we'll have riches and joy beyond imagination. And that story that happened was foreshadowing that future in such a way that it brought the future into the present in such a way that it affected people to actually bring about that future. The miracles of Jesus are that way. They're showing us a glimpse of the future. They're foreshadowing where the future comes into the present when Jesus was doing miracles. And when he heals somebody who's blind, he's healing somebody who's blind, but that's a picture of the future coming into the present to show us a true restoration that's going to take place when Christ comes in the kingdom of God, the future is in that moment and seeing those miracles brought about that very future in the lives of those who believed to where they'll have a resurrection and a restoration in the kingdom of God the, because, because they noticed the future coming into the present. The resurrection of Jesus is that way, where the future has already happened. This future restoration, this future recreation, this future renewal and restoration of the earth has already begun. The future came into the present when Jesus rose from the dead. It already has begun in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. The Bible does this all the time. But not just the promises of redemption and restoration and resurrection, but also the promises of justice. When God will wipe out evil from the earth and there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more death. There are times when that future comes in to the present and shows us the coming justice of God when he will wipe evil from the earth, just like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18, where God completely wipes them out for their evil. That's a foreshadowing picture of the future coming into the present to wake people up to the reality of justice coming and affecting and bringing about that very future. Here's the thing right there on the TV screen. I'll go over here so we can look at it. Love and anger always join together at some point. You can't have real love without also having anger. Because, see, it's love and compassion that makes you angry when you hear the story of a child being abused. It's love and compassion that makes you angry when you hear the story of 300 teenage girls in Nigeria being kidnapped by a terrorist group in order to become forced wives of terrorist group members. It's love and compassion that makes you angry when you hear of somebody being beaten and killed simply because of their ethnicity. But then some people are surprised they, they think it's overreacting when people get angry and protest because they don't understand that it's part of a bigger story. They think it's an overreaction. But that phrase, no justice, no peace, that reflects the very character of God. We say it because we're created in the image of God. No justice. No peace has not been made up. It's not a recent thing. It's always been true because it's who God is. No justice, no peace. We're surprised when we read stories in the Old Testament of God wiping out Sodom and Gomorrah. He'd had enough. Now, we don't know the larger story of all that God had been putting up with, but he wipes them out because no justice, no peace. And God's bringing peace upon the earth but it's foreshadowing of God bringing peace upon the earth. It's foreshadowing of God bringing peace through justice. We don't understand when we read these stories of how they're foreshadowing of the fact that God is going to remove evil from this earth, completely wipe it out, and he sends the future into the present to show us examples of that. But it's not just in the Old Testament. It's not as if we turn the page to the New Testament and those are there, but now we have just forgiveness, mercy, love, and grace. Because you can't read your Old Testament without reading similar kinds of stories. For example, in Acts chapter 5... When all these thousands of people have become Christians, they're in Jerusalem, how are they going to have their physical needs met when they've come from this pilgrimage to Pentecost and now they're away from home, thousands of miles away from home, some of them? How will they have their needs met except that by those Christians who are in Jerusalem selling their possessions and selling their land and taking the money and buying food and buying places to live? And so that's what happens in the book of Acts. But there's a couple that noticed that when somebody sold their property and gave the money in order to meet the needs of the, of the many who were there, they noticed that they were getting all kinds of credit and uh, praise and accolades. So there's this couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they sell their property, but they lie about how much it was sold for. And so they give what they say are the proceeds, but they weren't really the amount of the sale. They kept a bunch back for themselves, but they wanted the credit for the sell and the give. But they were trying to lie and fake everybody out. But the Apostle Peter gets wind of it, and he makes it very clear it's not an issue of faking others out. You can't fake God out. You can't lie and fake God out. So what does God do? He brings the future into the present and he wants to show people, he wants to make an impression so that that event of justice brings about a better future in the lives of those who witness it. So Peter says to the husband, Ananias, he says this, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died and great fear seized all who heard what had happened now what the bible does when it wants to emphasize something is it repeats it and so it repeats it by telling the same story of the wife who came in who hadn't heard about the husband and peter asks her if she knew this was the trick that was going on if they were trying to fake everybody out and lie about it and so here's what ha- what he says to her how could you conspire to te- test the spirit of the lord listen The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. So it goes on, and it says, that's not good. (laughs) Well, it says that when she heard that, she, she breathed her last, and she fell, and she died. And it says the same exact phrase. Great fear seized the whole church of all those who heard about it repeats the exact same phrase. Now, what's going on there? What's happening is God is bringing the future justice into the present in one story in order to help us see the larger story and help people see the future. Because see, the very next verse in that passage says the word of the Lord spread and thousands of more people became part of the church. Something had happened where it woke people up. It made such an impression. They realized you can't fake and lie your way into the kingdom of God. It's got to be the real deal. You can't lie to God even if you can lie to other people. And God doesn't show that in every situation. We've all lied. We've all faked people out thinking that we were faking God out, but we weren't. But we didn't drop dead. It doesn't happen to everybody. But the future came into the present in that story to give us a glimpse of one story to do something in our lives to create a different future for us. That's what Jesus says the Old Testament stories of God's justice are. They're meant to do something in us. To create a better future. When the future comes into the present, its purpose is to create the very future that is foreshadowing. So, so Jesus does this in Matthew chapter 11. This might be done. Oh, there it is. Okay. So in Matthew chapter eleven, Jesus Matthew says this that Jesus began to denounce, and I put that word in yellow because I want you to hear Jesus is not just talking about love and forgiveness and compassion and mercy. He's denouncing people. Who's he denouncing? He's denouncing the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. Jesus is going around healing people who are blind, who are deaf, who are crippled all their lives. He's doing these miracles. It was the future coming into the present. It was supposed to do something, and it didn't do it. It got stuck. And so Jesus denounces those towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not Repent, they didn't see what it foreshadowed. It didn't make a difference and create a different future for them. So it goes on to say, Jesus says this, woe. Now you never want, it's not a positive thing when Jesus says woe to you. That's not positive. Jesus says, "Woe to you, Chorazin, and, cap- and you, Capernaum! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, now we're talking again about that Old Testament story in Sodom and Gomorrah, where God wiped them off the face of the earth. If that miracles had been performed in you, that had been performed, in, I'm sorry, had been performed in you, had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. It wouldn't have been wiped out. They would have repented." And Jesus goes on to say. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. That's Jesus talking. That's the truth part of the grace and truth that he was full of. Jesus is talking about this foreshadowing future that came into the present and it should have created a different present that would have created a different future. But that future is coming where God will wipe out evil from the earth and there will be no more suffering, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. That should have an effect now. You know, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth in the gospel of John. And he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit in a very positive way. The Holy Spirit's going to encourage us and bring joy in our lives. But he says this in John 16, 8. He says, When he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, that's not positive to us, that, that's just that's not the God that we like. We didn't know Jesus talked this way. We thought that was just the undesirable God of the Old Testament. We thought when we turned our pages to the New Testament, it was all different. But Jesus says the very spirit of God himself comes for the purpose of convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. We see it as negative. We see it of God being a real big downer. Jesus was talking about it as being positive. The downer is the dysfunction. The downer is the slavery. The downer is the being wiped off the face of the earth. The gift is seeing what that points to and repenting making our lives on a different trajectory. See, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to drive us into the arms of the one who has open arms, the forgiveness, the love, the compassion, the mercy of God, whose arms are open. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment so that we run into the arms of the one whose arms are wide on the cross and dying for our sins. See, because when the Apostle John says that Jesus was, we saw his glory and full of grace and truth, he's taking his readers back to the most quoted verse in the Old Testament. The most quoted verse in the whole Bible is in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, where God is appearing to Moses. He can't show him his full glory or he'd be wiped out, but he's going to speak. a a, a bit of his glory to him, and so it says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord. Now that's all capital L-O-R-D. So that's God's name Yahweh, which meant he is, the I am. God said, I am the I am. The Lord, Yahweh, the I am, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, And forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the God of the Old Testament talking. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That's part of the bigger story. Now, when Jesus walked the earth, John the Apostle goes out of his way to say that Jesus, on seven different occasions, claimed to be the very I Am of the Old Testament. So for example when he was talking about Abraham who had lived 2000 years before Jesus he said truly truly I say to you in John 8:58 before Abraham was I am I am Jesus is going out of his way to say I am the I am seven different times in the gospel of John now we we can't even begin to understand who Jesus is if we see him somehow, if we don't understand the God of the Old Testament, we can't understand the miracles of Jesus and what they foreshadow. We can't understand the teachings of Jesus and what he claims about himself. We can't understand why Jesus would die on the cross And we can't understand the whole purpose of the resurrection and and the ascension into heaven and coming back to establish his kingdom and his justice on the earth, removing evil from the earth. We don't understand any of it. If we think that the Old Testament God is different, what we don't get is that Jesus is the Old Testament God. Jesus was the Old Testament God whose arms hung on the cross and is calling us to himself because he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He forgives wickedness and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. How does he do that? How does he forgive rebellion and wickedness and yet not leave the guilty unpunished? Who do you forgive except the guilty? Well, it's because Jesus becomes the justice of God. He's the peace and the justice of God. He takes the guilt of the guilty upon himself so that we can enter into the kingdom and cross through this red sea of evil and death and sin and on the other side come with riches and restoration in the kingdom of God in our own resurrection, just like his resurrection. That's the whole story. That's the bigger story. That's the future that's foreshadowed in the present in all the stories that we read, whether they're the stories of redemption or the stories of justice. No justice, no peace. And Jesus is both. In ways far beyond what Gandhi probably understood, he is our peace. And he is full of grace and truth. Because he's the God of the Old Testament. That's what we understand when we say even the Lord's Prayer. Let's stand now and say the Lord's Prayer together as we leave here today. Pray this with me. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great week.